I hear church people mention the Lord, and I always feel a little nervous. I'm not sure they know what the Lord is. That the Lord is the Word of God. The Word of God that comes down from heaven. Psalm 18, verse 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. That word is the Lord. That word that's brought to your mind by the Holy Spirit is the living word. And by that word that comes down from heaven, we are given strength. Paul said in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That's absolutely correct. The minute you hear the word on the issue, the minute he reminds you of a scripture, the minute you have the word, you have the concept, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There's a passage of scripture where Jesus was walking on water, and when Peter realized that, he said, Bid me come. And Jesus said, Come. Peter started walking on water until he looked at the waves, and then he began to sink. And he cried out to Jesus to save him. Jesus said, where's your faith? Well, his faith was on the circumstances. When you take your eyes off the word God has given you to cause you to walk on water, you're going to sink. As long as you look at that word in the midst of the problem, you can keep going. This is real faith, not just presumption or some kind of pompousness where you say, oh, God would never let that happen to me. And you walk right out into coronavirus and get sick. Well, then where is your faith? Your faith wasn't built on the word. Your faith was built on a presumption. And I think it destroys faith when you do that. Now, when you really do what you heard to do from God, there is no doubt you can walk on water. I fell at my house in Texas. In 2018, 2018, I broke a left hip and a left arm. I was by myself and 81 years old. I was lying there and finally managed to turn over on my right side, the unbroken side. But the pain was really bad. I started to try to inch my way to the room next to the hallway 
where the telephone was to try to get help. As I began to inch my way there, it was so horribly painful, I couldn't do it. I was just lying there, and I knew that if I didn't get to that telephone, I could die because no one was due at my house for at least a week. I was lying there doing nothing, really, and I heard a word from God, and that changed everything. Because of that word of God, I was able to get to the telephone. The word I heard at that moment was, you can do this. That's all I needed. I knew it was the voice of God. You can do this. So I crawled to the telephone. It took four and a half hours to go about six feet. But I'm when I say inch, I mean an inch at a time. But I got to the phone. My plan was to pull the phone off a table. I was underneath the table when I managed to crawl to that area. I pulled on the phone cord. When I pulled on the phone cord, the receiver squirted across the room. I never saw the receiver again. But under the table, there was a Kindle tablet, and it was plugged into an electrical line and had been charging. If I could get to that Kindle tablet, I would send an email to our church group asking, help, have fallen, send ambulance. That was my plan. I did get to the Kindle tablet. I did manage to get it unplugged from the charger. It was terribly painful. I was almost passing out. I managed to find an old email somebody had written. I hit the reply button and said, Help, have fallen, send ambulance. After a short while, I heard my phone ring. That gave me great hope because I figured if that phone is ringing, it's someone in our church group sending me help. And sure enough, it was. Pam Paget, who lives in Colorado Springs, had gotten the email. And she was trying to figure out what I wrote. I was almost unconscious. But she figured out it meant send help. In Colorado Springs, with me being in Texas, she couldn't press 911 and get help. She called the police department in Lubbock, Texas, 450 miles away, said she had gotten an emergency message that I had fallen, send ambulance to my house, send me help. It wasn't long before I heard men at my front door I don't know how they got in the house, 
But they got in the house, got to me. I was in the bedroom on the floor. They put me on a gurney and started taking me to the hospital when I heard another word from God. As we passed the front door of my house, I heard, you'll never see this house again. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus tells us two things that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lives in us, in the believer, and he brings to our mind information, telling us what to do. He also brings to our mind thoughts about the future. Well, this was one of those thoughts of what was going to happen in the future. You'll never see this house again. That was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. When I got to the hospital shortly after arriving, I put the house up for sale. One of our church members said, I don't see how you can do this. And I said, well, I've heard from God that I'll never see this house again. What am I going to do with two houses? I want to sell the house if I'm not going to see it again. Now, see, I believe the word. The word was you're not going to see the house again. I believed it was from God. I believed it was showing me things to come, just as it says the Holy Spirit will do, show you things to come. This is not fortune-telling where you conjure this. You hear it, believe it's God, and you do something appropriate to the belief that you have. You walk on water because Jesus says, come, and you do it. You mustn't waver. You must not waver because it says in James chapter 1, he that wavereth, don't let him think he's going to receive anything of the Lord. I had 40 years of training from God on the subject of faith. I know the voice of God. Jesus says, In John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They won't follow the voice of a stranger, because they know not the voice of a stranger. I know the voice of God. I've heard it so many times. It's been brought to my memory By the Holy Spirit. I know that voice. The Word is the Lord. And I can do all things through Christ, the Word, that strengthens me. Through that Word, the Holy Spirit brings to my mind. It makes it possible to do all things.
The word causes to be able to walk on water, doing the impossible with Jesus, so long as we don't remove our eyes from the word we've heard. Lying on that hallway, you can do this. Focusing on what I heard, not on the pain, not on the fact that I felt my hip was broken, that I'm six feet away, how will I ever do that? You inch your way there, focusing on the word you've heard from God. And as long as we don't remove our eyes from that word and look at the circumstances, you can walk on water. You can do that word that God says. Now, it's not a matter of saying, I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to find a scripture and walk on water. No, no, you've got to hear from God personally. It's God who speaks to you in the moment, telling you the situation. You recognize it's God who said you can do that. And you do it. Keeping your eyes on the word and not on the circumstances. Faith is hearing that word and knowing that that's the voice of God and believing that truth and doing that truth and to continue to do that truth which he has spoken to us. It's all very simple. It's not that we hunt something to believe. It's that God brings it to our mind by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, we know the voice of devils. It'll say, you better hurry. You better hurry. You better do this right now. You got to hurry. It will bring fear. Psalm 18, let's start at verse 2. The Lord is my rock. The Lord, the Word, is my rock and my fortress. I run into that Word and hide. And my Deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. That's the word. When God sends you his word, that's what you have to cling to. It will never fail, provided you don't look away from the word and look at the circumstances. Verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Don't go around the ungodly. 
Even Jesus separated himself from some when he was going to go to heal this young girl. The parent, the father, had called on Jesus, Come, heal my daughter. Jesus didn't take everybody with him of his disciples. He took a couple of them and left the others outside. You cannot be saved from the situation if you're going to go among ungodly church people. They'll pull you down. It wasn't a fold that came to me saying, I don't see how you can do this, how you can put your house up for sale. I said, but I've heard from God. When you hear from God, there's no counsel against God. But you have to do a few things to walk on water. You have to keep your eyes on the word. Turn away from unbelievers. There are plenty of unbelievers in the churches. At one point in time in the 80s, I attended a church called Word of Faith. My Bible teacher at that church came to me once telling me how I was very different from the other people. I didn't even realize I was different from them. I thought we were all the same. He said, no, no, you're different. We talk about faith, but you actually do it. Okay, who do you know that's walking on water? Are they just talking? Are they just quoting platitudes of Scripture? Are they really saying, God said this to me about the situation? You can't walk in water if you don't hear from God. It's not that you can look up a scripture and do it. You have to hear from the living God. And when you hear from him, you can do the impossible if you don't look away. I know a woman who had a dream that her unsaved husband was reading the Bible, but every once in a while she looked away. How can this be? She looked away. When I have a dream that someone is reading the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, it's done. It's over. There was a woman, a high school classmate of mine. I sent her some writings, and she said, don't send me any more writings. Another high school classmate said, isn't she a Christian? And I said, listen, let me tell you something. After she said that to me, God showed me she was reading the Bible. I consider she'll be all right. So if you have a dream that someone is reading the Bible, how can you think anything else than it will be all right? I know how you can think something else because you're looking at the circumstances. He doesn't act like a Christian. He's very intellectual. How can he be saved? 
you're not the one saving him. You don't have to know how he can be saved. Where's your faith? Dreams come from God and are used to help us. Believe what God says. Set your heart to believe the word you have been given by God. Can't you tell the difference between God speaking and a devil speaking? Can't you tell things like that? Now, if you can't tell the difference between God and a devil, I think you've got a problem. The devil spoke some words to me recently, and I even said to Pam Padgett, would you like to hear what the devil told me? She said, I don't think so. (laughs) Well, I knew it was the devil. I wasn't going to follow him. I knew it was the devil. Do you know the difference? Can you tell the difference? Well, the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they're of God. Let me tell you what the devil told me the other day. Go buy some bullets for your gun. This guy is going to rob you. That wasn't a warning from God. That was the devil. I don't want to kill anyone. One time I accidentally shot a bird that was on top of my house. The bird rolled down this steep roof, fell at my feet. I was absolutely horrified. I threw the bullets away. At that time, I had a gun. I threw the bullets away. I used to be in the Indian arts business and have to go out to the reservation with cash to buy jewelry. I don't even know if I was born again at that time. I can't remember. It was so long ago. A deputy sheriff in Dallas gave me this gun. He thought it was very unsafe for me to go out alone into the middle of desert land with cash to buy merchandise. So he gave me this gun. Guns are very dangerous. When I killed that bird accidentally, I really never wanted to kill anything again, so I threw the bullets away. I I don't know, maybe I should have taken the gun and turned it into the police department or something and gotten rid of it. I just never did. One time something really bad happened. I had been on a buying trip to New Mexico. I walked into my apartment where I lived alone and went into my bedroom and just put my suitcase down when I realized there were two people in my bed. I turned to a chest of drawers that was standing there. I had put the gun in the chest of drawers. I turned to get it. I was turning with the gun in my hand when I heard one of the people calling my name, Joan, Joan. 
I turned around and recognized this was a violin teacher that taught at a university in Denton, Texas, 30 miles north from my house. She was doing recording sessions in Dallas and was very tired from the recording session, and I gave her a key to my apartment so that when she was doing recording sessions in Dallas, she could use my apartment to rest. I knew her husband. I knew her children. She had her lover at my apartment. Now, I'm quite sure this was before I was born again. People do all kinds of things that are unexpected, but she is fortunate she didn't get killed that day because I was terrified. I was trying to get the gun out to protect myself when I heard her voice say, Joan. I went into the kitchen, and she came out shortly. I said, Norma, do you want a drink? I had liquor in the apartment. Frankly, I would right now. I have some in my bedroom if I, in case of an emergency. It doesn't say not to have liquor in case of an emergency. It says give the person who's weak in heart, give them a strong drink. That's in Proverbs. Well, I'm not a drinker. I don't even like the taste of alcohol. But I keep it in case of an emergency. Well, that was definitely an emergency with Norma. I turned to her. I think she's dead by now. She was older than I, and I'm 86. So I don't think it matters if I say her name. Anyway, I turned to her, and I said, Would you like a drink? She says, no, Joan, I'm Mormon. I don't drink. But she said, I think Dick would like one. I poured Dick a drink. I poured me a drink. We sat down in the living room and had our drink, and Norma didn't have a drink because she's a Mormon, and she's committing adultery. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. I'm sure I wasn't born again when this happened. Well, I'll tell you something that you might do and have done that I did. I went to a church meeting with a man who says he's a prophet. We went to our own church that we attended. We came back to my apartment. I said, would you like a cup of coffee? He said he would. We went in my apartment. I was in the kitchen making coffee I came out of the kitchen. He was standing there totally naked. He tried to grab me. I managed to break loose. I fled my apartment, leaving my house key inside the apartment. I sat in my car until I saw him drive away. Then I ran back into the apartment and locked the door. This is a man who said he was a prophet, attending Word of Faith.
all kinds of things happen that you can't even imagine happen, especially in a church. It wasn't just that church. I've had a Baptist deacon try to proposition me to go to bed with him. I went and got the Bible and read 1 Corinthians 6 to him. God always made a way of escape for me, but I wasn't deliberately foolish. These are men that are evil who are in the churches. And it happens in many different churches. What I would do if I had a child, I'd take that child and teach that child that at the time of sexual intercourse, two people become one flesh. That is in 1 Corinthians 6. That's the only thing I believe is strong enough to keep a young person safe, or even to keep an older person safe, is the understanding that at the time of sexual intercourse, the two people become one flesh. You may say, well, I never heard that. Well, it's in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll take time to read it right now. Start at verse 15. Paul says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. The person who has sexual intercourse, even with a harlot, becomes one flesh with her, according to Paul. Paul says, What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot, a prostitute, is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I've never heard this taught at any church that I have attended, but I read it in the Bible. I don't think anything is strong enough to keep that young person from sexual intercourse with another young person except this scripture. I would teach it to young people, but I've never heard anybody teach it at a singles class at church. And I've attended many singles classes at various churches. I've never heard anyone say the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I've never heard that spoken at church, but you know, I read it in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. But I've never heard it at a church. 
We are living in very evil times, especially in the churches because Antichrist is here. You say, well, who is he? Well, he is multiple people because Antichrist is a spirit. I can prove that. You want me to prove that? 1 John chapter 4, John refers to Antichrist as a spirit of Antichrist. John says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 18 that there are many Antichrists in his church group at that time. Antichrist is a spirit that roams the churches and tries to persuade the church members to go along with his doctrine if they're not already doing it. See, there's so much evil in the churches in the end times. That's the apostasy the Bible speaks of. Let me show you where that is. Paul says in Second. Thessalonians, the day of the Lord will not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin will be revealed, which is like saying the devil will be revealed in that person. He's in many persons, not just one person. And that's the way Antichrist is. The end time apostasy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Jesus will not return until there is a falling away in churches. And God said to me when I was reading this scripture in 1982, God said to me, the falling away Paul was speaking of is not a falling away from the churches. The falling away is a falling away of the churches from the scriptures. That's Antichrist. The churches that fall away from scripture and set up doctrines opposite to the Bible are Antichrist. Opposite is anti. Antichrist in the churches. The apostasy of the end time. It's going on right now. How do you save yourself? Well, know the scriptures. The word is the thing that saves us. We know the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You know it because it's in the Bible, Matthew 5.32. The falling away of the end times, churches would fall away from unpopular scriptures and set up their own doctrines in order to approve people to get money. My goodness, we see it constantly. Wake up. Let no man deceive you. The first thing Jesus said to the disciples when he told them of these end-time things that would come They came to him and they said, Matthew 24, they came and they said, what, when are the end times and what shall we watch for? What's the sign of your coming? 
he said, Let no man deceive you, for many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. That means many would come saying they're Christians and they believe in Jesus. And because they say that, you accept them as a Christian and they move in with your approval. But they are going to deceive you. And he says, let no man deceive you. That's the first sign of the end times. Matthew 24. It's throughout the Bible. And because we know the Bible, we recognize Antichrist in the churches. Because they don't speak the same thing the Bible speaks. I've been to multiple pastors that I heard speak things that were not in the Bible, making up things, and ask them where that is in the Bible that they spoke last night. Two of them told me exactly the same thing. They said, I can't remember where it is in the Bible. I said, well, I went home and looked for it, and I couldn't find it. So I really need to know where it is. Will you find out where it is? Tell your secretary and have her call me. I need to know. One of them got very angry, and he said, well, all right, it's not in the Bible. Where do you go to church? Well, I was trying to find a church to go to, but I'm not going to go to one where the pastor deliberately lies to the congregation. And then when you ask him where something is in the Bible, he lies to you saying he can't remember where it is. That's Antichrist. That's just the way it is in the end time. And I'll tell you, it helped me so much. When God told me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and the falling away that would have to come before Jesus returns. Because it's ordained. It's going to happen. I had been so upset with those men who are pastors and lied to me. That shouldn't be happening in the church. We're members of the body of Christ, and the pastor is lying. That shouldn't happen. It happens because it's ordained to happen just like Pharaoh was ordained in Egypt in the days of Moses. That's what it says in Romans chapter 9. Don't you know the Bible? It's your responsibility. I know a woman who took a vow not to have sex before marriage. She took a vow at a Baptist church. That's not strong enough to hold her and keep her safe. She went out and had sex, became pregnant, had a child, married the man, had another child, divorced the man. Then she was dating another man that she wanted to marry. And they went to a pastor to find out if they could marry without her committing adultery because she had heard from someone that if she remarried after divorce, she would commit adultery. 
So she wanted the approval of the pastor to marry the man she was going with. He said, well, my sister's divorced and remarried. Of course you can do that. Later, she was born again, this same woman. After she was born again, she began reading the Bible. And she found she committed adultery as a divorced woman when she married this second husband. And she was so angry at the pastor. Now, I, by that time, I knew her and was talking with her about Bible. She had found out herself by reading the Bible, and she was so angry with this pastor. The Holy Spirit said, well, wasn't she having sex with the man she wanted to marry at the time they went to the pastor? <laughs> I said, well, weren't you committing fornication? with him at the time you went to the pastor to see if you could marry without committing adultery? Dead silence, I mean dead. And then she said, yes. And I said, well, you don't have much grounds against the pastor when you were committing fornication, when you went to the pastor. See, it's all so twisted. That's because devils are in it and devils will twist things. You have a Bible, read it. You even have concordances today that are on computer. Look it up, look up adultery. Read all the passages in the New Testament. Settle it for yourself. With the scripture, God's not going to contradict himself. When you find it in the Bible, that's the word of God. It's going to happen that way. Wake up. These are bad times. Actually, Paul said if the last days would be perilous times. Second Timothy chapter 3. It's up to you to read the Bible, to know what the Bible says. Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and it's not going to a pastor to work it out. It's you work it out. Read the Bible. Settle it. Read the New Testament. That's what we go by. Thank you for letting me share with you today.